Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. So I'm here with uh, Lindsay, my favorite uh, millennial, uh, what, what, what would you call yourself? You're, you're like a millennial consultant, you're a keynote speaker. You're, yeah. Uh, con what, tell me, tell us about yourself. Yeah, it's a good way to say it. I mean, I think the term that is being used the most in the marketplace is generational consultant. There we go. Um, five years ago, it was definitely like millennial expert. And we still talk that way. And I honestly think that it's really important to understand the millennial generation because we make up so much of the workplace population. Because yeah, yeah. everybody's like, what about Gen Z's? I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Here's the thing. By 2030, 75% of your employees will be millennials. So let's like talk about the big chunk, you know? Yeah. And right now. I think probably, um, I get, I know that there's like a ton of differences, but mm -hmm. if you think about it, like millennials versus baby, baby boomer differences are probably a lot more stark than like, uh, Gen X versus Gen Z differences. And that, yeah. kind of, again, to your point that coupled with the, the proportion of the workforce that is millennials is a big, it's a big blind spot for a lot of folks. It is. Yeah. And, you know, people will say, like, move over, millennials, Gen Z is coming up. And, I mean, some of that is definitely true, but the research, I always, I had somebody the other day on LinkedIn kind of troll me because I was talking about generations, and I hold that data, it's important, and I hold it in context of the bigger picture, where some people, like, live and die by generational research. I'm like, right. this is one piece of a much bigger picture. Yeah. Socioeconomic status impacts that. If your company is global, that's really impacted because right. – Generational research is just inside of the U.S., like the research that I look at. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, it's one layer of understanding how your employees engage with each other and mostly their expectations around workplace culture. So I think it's just helpful to know, like, it sits, oops, I lost you there. It sits in the middle of a bunch of other really uh, important elements to look at when it comes to your employees. The biggest rub for sure right now is boomers and millennials because they really grew up because of technology, particularly they really grew up in different worlds, even though, you know, the same United States. Yeah. And, you know, again, um, just from like a size of the demographics perspective, mm -hmm. the accommodations quote unquote, that um, baby, baby boomers needed to make for gen uh, Xers is mm -hmm. a lot less than those mm -hmm. that they need to make for millennials for two reasons. One, the Gen Xers just as a population size is just materially smaller That's than, right. the than the millennial piece. And then just that, that technology piece is such another massive element, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm yeah. just the, the technology, it's a thousand other things, but the 9-11 piece and the technology piece and the, yeah. the economy crashing piece when, when the millennials were coming out of college and things like that, like those realities where you know, the generation before and even the one before that, you know, a truth was you just buy a house and you're good to go. Those just always go up. Yeah. Our generation doesn't, does, does, you know, a lot of people don't believe that. So just those kind of foundational sort of differences and truths coupled with that yep. massive size differential causes this, as you said, this rub to be kind of worse, you know? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. 100%. How'd you get into this game? I was going to school for coaching and I wanted to help people grow. And my background was in psychology, so it made sense to go into coaching school, got certified. The thing I noticed when I got there, and this was like six, seven, no, seven years ago now, I'm like looking around. I'm like, I'm the youngest person here by at least a decade. What in, am I going to do? In the coaching thing? In the coaching school. Yeah, it was yeah. like, 
my good friends were VPs of banks or were on to their second or third career, you know, and I'm like, I was 26 at the time. I'm this young buck trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And, and so when I got done, I was like, who am I actually going to be able to help? That's realistic. I think I hear so many young people my age be like, I'm a social media expert. I'm a millennial expert. And I'm like, because you happen to be one or because you happen to use Twitter, like you're not an expert. And so I just thought, what do I actually understand? I understand how to coach people. I understand career development. Now that I've been through this process myself, that's what I can actually deliver with authenticity to the marketplace. So I just began a program called Unleash My Career. It was bringing millennials through it, hundreds and hundreds of them as individual clients, as groups online, as groups locally. I was just doing that work all the time. And that built the groundswell for companies to hear about what I do and have me come in. And so now I work inside of companies and I deliver similar coaching to what I did with individuals I can do inside of companies. And I also help shortcut that learning curve with CEOs or leaders who are saying, why are they so different? I, you know, we bought a pool table, nobody's using it. None of this works. You know, I help them understand the <laughs> yeah. deeper reasons. Well, they need a foosball table. That's the silver bullet. Yeah. You know what? Because you got a pool table and it should have been foosball or ping pong. <laughs> How dare you? So that's like the, either I'm speaking to CEOs now and explaining this is the culture trend shift, or I'm just still, I'm coaching groups inside of companies. Uh, keynoting ends up taking up a good amount of my time now too. And I had happened to be doing research about millennials, ironically, because I used to be in a band and we were researching the shifting music industry. Mm. And if you imagine like a decade ago, about 15 years ago, we could see it coming, right? Like we were still printing CDs or like nobody's buying these. You know, they want to listen to it at that time, like on YouTube or Spotify wasn't around yet, but we were building towards a Spotify platform. And so I was doing that generational research just to understand on a consumer side, how are we going to make money as a band? How are we going to be viable? How do you get your music out? And so that research has followed me along as I built my coaching business. So I believe that we're really a convergence of all our experiences. That's what I happen to be living in right now, which is really fun. I'm a convergence of a lot of eclectic pieces, musicianship, generational research, psychology, those all come together. And I get to be a presenter and a performer still to this day, which is cool. Yeah, you got a real gift. Like those videos of yours I've seen, you're just like, you're like at home in front of, this, in front of an audience, it seems. Yeah, that took a long time. I actually like, I, when I take like a Myers-Briggs, I usually come out introverted. So I'm Interesting. pretty, I'm a, a lot pretty of performers like, are introverted though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of like, if we're not, if I'm not on stage doing something like that, I'm at home, you know, like I'm at home today with my dog, you know, she's sitting oh. here with me. Like, I'm just, you know, oh, hello. I didn't know we had another guest. <laughs> another special guest. She's right here on my lap. She likes to be a part of these. So, um, yeah, I'm usually in one of those two, like out there doing it, or I'm tucked away reading, you know, doing stuff like that in the quiet. So very interesting. That's my life now. Yeah. It's a cool. It's cool when you can sort of get, you know, kind of paint that, well, wrong uh, analogy, but sort of construct that mosaic from all those different sort of disparate um, experiences mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, pull them, them together to provide that perspective and that, that value to your clients. Um, yeah. I've just, I've been so excited for this episode because, um, you know, I think you get it at such, such a deep level, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that this is just a freaking massive blind spot for like every company I see and come in contact with, you know, again, I'm going to sort of uh, speak in stereotypes and generalities because that's just sure. how I do it. But, yep. um, you know, largely you got sort of 
you know, baby boomers kind of running these companies and you have this new sort of groundswell of millennials coming through and, mm-hmm. you know, Gen Xers, they get kind of lost in the mix, but that's kind of been the story of their whole lives, not to minimize them at all, but they are yeah. kind of this, this interesting bridge between those two groups. And I, right. think, I think you do a good job, not only of sort of, uh, kind of talking about the blind spots around the millennials, but also speaking into those folks in the middle as them being that glue and that bridge. And, yep. you know, the opportunity that I, that I see, and I just, that book you recommended last week, Remix, I just finished it. It was like mm-hmm. freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but there really is this, it's the first time maybe in our history, um, or at least sort of recorded recent history, whatever, where we have this really interesting opportunity of all these different folks. You have baby boomers like staying in the workplace longer. So you have like the, you know, the opportunity for that, like rich, deep experience that they have. You have these, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a massive, you know, swath of millennials coming in who are, who look at the world differently. There may be, um, you know, maybe more technologically, um, you know, advanced or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're faster. They value things in a, in, in a different way. And you still have those kind of in-betweeners who again, can help build that bridge. But yeah. what I think is that over, you know, like you said, in 10 years, it's going to be a 75% of the workforce uh, are going to be millennials and they're just, they're just wired in such a different way that to your mm-hmm. point, no one gets it, right? That's why people are hiring you to come in and explain, Hey, you know, why are they so different and, and whatever. Yeah. So we're going to see a massive, um, it's bigger than people think, but you're going to see uh, a portion of organizations going to, they're going to get it or they're going to work to get the millennial thing. And a bunch are going to be playing catch up. And the ones that are playing catch up are going to end up it's going to show up ultimately in their bottom line, which is what the board cares about and what the CEO right. cares about in spite of sort of their words. But um, so I think there's just a huge opp- opportunity for companies to get involved with folks like you, to read mm-hmm. you know, books like this, to get educated on it and to understand that like, there's a lot of opportunity in this diversity. It's not something weird um, just because you don't understand it. You can spend a little time diving into it and um, you know, understanding those pieces. But if you could just talk a little bit about like what are the big blind spots you see? Like you're, you're dealing with CEOs, you're dealing, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to talk, talk about it from both angles. Like the people running the companies, you know, you kind of playfully said, you know, we have a pool table, but this is, isn't working. What kind of blind spots are you seeing sort of in mass up there? And then I also want to talk, you know, next about some of your coaching to people that are trying to supercharge their career, right? These millennials coming into these structures that were really built for people two generations ago. That's a great way to say it. Coming into a structure that is, built for people two generations ago that's exactly it and like even if you were to look at to talk about structure like an org chart org charts if you think like a military org chart and i do this sometimes during my keynotes i'll show an actual military org chart very structured 10 layers deep right Mm -hmm. we don't think like that at all correct we have millennials we look at modern day org charts and there's center which is usually the c-suite or the ceo and then everybody else is rotating around that but no one is higher or lower. It's just the center of focus is, you know, the CEO is the visionary. So we are rotating around the vision of the CEO, but everyone is serving that vision. One person doesn't say it and hope it trickles down. So that concept of, you know, you said the word structure totally sent me on that mentality. But if you were, anybody can Google this, you don't need me to do this, but if you just Google like modern day org chart, military org chart or org chart from the 1950s, you're going to see that. So that piece, I think the biggest, there's a lot of things I could say about, you know, missed blind spots with boomers as leaders and millennials as 
employees. I'll talk about the, the highest pain points that I see. Expectations around what work, quote unquote, should look like. Under that, you could put remote work, flexibility, those pieces that really, for a boomer, it makes sense because when they first started working, you show up on time, you work a certain amount of hours, regardless of your production, and you go home. Us millennials, we're thinking, tell me what I need to do. I don't know why you care where I do it because I can answer emails in line at Starbucks. Right. Tell That's me the actual. One. That's mm-hmm. a big one, right? Just There's like a that. whole, yeah, just that mentality of like, I can do work anywhere, but you have a value on me coming to this location to do this. And you can Google results only work environment, row is what they call it. It's a whole like product. It was research that turned into a product. Um, but that, you know, we're usually thinking a little more project oriented, which makes sense too. If you're coming out of college, we're the most gen- we're the most um, educated generation in U.S. history. Millennials and it's are. It's all projects, by the way. What is a class? Right. It's a project. Good I don't point. care if you do your talk. I don't care if you write your paper at 3 a.m. Just get it done. Get it in on time. And so that mentality around what work looks like, literally, like what productivity is. There's a lot of judgment around how that should look. And this year, 2020, I think it was Sherm that did this research, but I think it was Sherm, but 50% of employees are working remote. So that's not even a millennial thing, right? That's a tech thing that millennials happen to be born into where we just think of work differently. I can work in my pajamas. I have slippers on right now and a dog on my lap. This work is just as valuable and focused to me as if I was in an office with a you know, I was going to say a suit and tie, but you know, with like, with a, a real office setting with real shoes on. And so that's a big, that's a big one. Uh, I see all the time. The other one that causes the most rub here in Indianapolis, it's probably national too, is the expectation around personal growth. Most millennials that I've worked with, and I've worked with a lot of them will say the top reason that they leave their company is because nobody's helping them grow professionally or personally. And if you have been grown up in our generation where it's like at a fast clip, you're learning, you're getting graded, you're learning, you're getting graded from the time you're five until you're 22. And then all of a sudden you get spit out into the real world. We're moving in slow motion and you're not getting feedback every week and you don't know what classes you're taking next. You have nothing to look forward to. You would start to kind of lose hope a little bit. Like, where am I going? What am I doing? Yeah, and this is kind of an extreme car- caricature of what you're sort of referencing there. But, you know, those parents who are starting to try to, uh, or those parents who were like, okay, if they got to get into a good college. And I, that means they got to get into a great preschool. Like that started with our generation. You understand what I'm yes. saying? So like mm-hmm. that, to your point, that constant sort of stacking of experiences and making sure that these boxes are being checked and am, am I moving up appropriately and so forth, that's sort of ingrained in our sort of like life experience before, as you're, to your point, we're spit mm-hmm. out into the, the real world. That's right. You know, and the real world moves at a much slower pace. So on the millennial end of the same conversation, I'm usually slowing millennials down because they'll be like six months into a job and feel like I've been here forever. What are we doing? I'm still doing the same menial tasks. Is this my life now? Because think about a six month period when you were in college was like, you would have completely changed semesters. You would have maybe changed where you live by then. Like a lot happens. You're at a different tempo. So expectation around work tempo is huge. And I, I'm sure you, you and me are Gary Vee fans. You like yeah. Gary Vee. You do yeah. a lot of work in his vein. He talks about that all the time. If you watch his videos, he's like grabbing 20-year-olds and saying, calm down. 
you have time. Don't make these rash decisions, you know, where actually give yourself time to grow and develop. And so I see a lot of young employees get overwhelmed and think nobody's actually going to help me grow. I'm stuck here. I'm doing tasks I don't want to do. I got to go. I got to go somewhere else. Yeah. And And I think part and parcel with what we're talking about, we're talking about this sort of military structure where you move Mm -hmm. up and it Mm -hmm. takes time and sort of these old structures are kind of tenure based many Mm -hmm. times a big generalization, but it's like this tenure based progression through. Whereas in that sort of inherent, it's like you flip that thing sideways and it's more of this sort of hub and spoke Um, that flatter organization is sort of, and you know, foundational to that is sort of more of a meritocracy type of a thing. Got it. And I think our generation in particular, you know, I've worked in some places where, you know, I would say something to the boss, again, not trying to obviously respectful, not trying to be disrespectful Mm -hmm. at all, but Mm -hmm. I would get looks from other people like, what are you talking to this guy for? And it's just like, well, he's just another guy. He's just in a different role. Right. But like, that's just how I looked at the world. But you have these sort of conflicts in place. And especially when those structures are in place, they do end up sort of creating these glass ceilings, particularly for people who are merit driven. They hit those. That's right. And they can't ascend forward. So that can sometimes, I mean, sometimes you can get a false positive to your point and, you know, jump ship before you, before you should. Mm -hmm. But many times the structure is just not really built for this new way of thinking that again is a massive part of the population. You nailed it. So exactly that pain point that millennials have companies self-report to me. That's the piece they're the worst at personal and professional development. So you do have this, this like cross, this unique crosshairs of this is what I want most. And this is the thing that you're slowest or unable to deliver on. We're on different, this is not going to work, you know? And so um, that exactly what you said, you nailed it. There was something else you said that was so interesting. Let me ask you this. When you went to college here in Indiana at IU, when you came here to go to college, well, you lived here already. Why do you think you went to college? What were some of the messages that your parents told you when you went off to college? Why bother? Yeah, I think um, we, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to Mm -hmm. run a business. So um, the advice that I got was, well, and we were the first ones in our family to go to college. So that was always like a a thing. That's right. but it was about kind of, you know, build this tool set, build a toolbox mm-hmm. so that you'll be able to take that out, you know, and, you know, be better equipped to build a career. Yep. Like get ahead, right? If you yes. do this, you're going to get ahead. You'll have stability. So you and I come out of college thinking I have earned, I have more merit and education. You might have tenure. You might have been here an extra 10 years, but I actually have like built my education and my knowledge base faster at a different pace than you did. So now you have the same people that told us to go to college when we come and we're like, Hey, I have got a college degree. I'm ready to go. I've got a lot to offer. They're like, who do you think you are? Slow down there, kid. Yes. So is seniority built on time invested or is it built on education? And, you know, in your actual knowledge base or impact potential or impact, you know, actual impact or something. Right. That's right. So you can imagine that people that, and this happens to Gen Xers a lot too, because what you said earlier, just sheer numbers, millennials may get the same advancement that took a Gen Xer twice as long. They may get it in three years. It took a Gen Xer six years because boomers weren't retired. Good point. Come. Those spots too, and just 
answer is like, are you kidding me? That took me twice as long to get. Millennials can't understand why that's an issue. And now we have another point of tension. So yeah. you've got that hierarchy. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I, I was just going to kind of echo what you're saying. You got this hierarchy, but it's, it's moving at different paces for different people, depending on when they got into the hierarchy. And that can sort of create resentment as you sort of look down on people who are just coming up and to your point are moving up faster. And then, you know, just to get kind of psych, you know, psych on it, it starts to can even start to feed into like identity issues. Like, am I right. as good as I thought I was? And, you know, am I the, you know, the, the performer I thought I was when this new kid is coming up and they're, they're, they're going way faster than I was going. Well, you can't always attribute that to your point to like your own performance. You can, you know, when there's other factors at play, like maybe the seats just opening up to your point. That's right. Well, and different skills are needed now too. True. There's an argument and I kind of feel uncomfortable with this, but I think there is a trueness to it that the real world is actually the internet and the world that you and I live like daily live in the physical world is like the second world. Yeah. And if you don't for a yeah, so for a millennial, it's like you've gotta have people that are making your website better, that understand how important technology is. The example I always use is, you know, if you were going to go to a restaurant, a new restaurant tonight, you would definitely Yelp it, see what the reviews are, want to see photos of the atmosphere, want to know what the menu is before you ever walk into that room. It doesn't matter. Before I even call. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So all of a sudden, their digital representation of their business is more important than the actual business in a sense. They both feed into each other, but to get a new customer in the door your, your digital version is the either like going to get people there or not. It's the block. Or yeah, the game's the moved. The, you know, the game has moved sort of to this virtual world. And mm-hmm. um, it's got to be hard. You know, I think, you know, just, just to kind of flip this conversation on, a, on its head a little bit, I think many times for our generation, it's hard to really appreciate how weird it must be for these older generations who are in these seats and they see these new like mm-hmm. you know, lunatics coming in who are on their phones mm-hmm. all the time and they don't want to work and they're wearing, you know, mm-hmm. holes in their jeans and all that other stuff. Um, you know, the things that they, to your point, the older generation thought were like mainstay freaking pillars of work, business, whatever are just thrown out the window because this generation sees, well, those aren't really important. Those aren't really needle movers. Like those don't really yep. matter. So, I mean, there is a lot of sort of empathy that I think our generation can have for these other folks. Who That's right. Like maybe this is touchy feely or maybe, man, why are we always talking about this stuff? Or you That's know right. Exactly. I think for millennials that can take the viewpoint of boomers, you are the future leaders. Good one. You can't just be thinking about the way you do it and everybody needs to bend around you. You have to go, oh my gosh, I always, uh, whenever I'm on holiday, my parents live in New York, but I always talk to my dad about his childhood. This last time he was here when it was helping me move, we were talking about how he was almost drafted for Vietnam. Now, really, Nick, like put yourself in that position with me. The government is like, dude, you're going into a war that nobody even wants to be in. You're ready? Because if we call you, you're going. Right. That level of authority you and I, I mean, I'd be like, dude, millennials are going to crash the White House website. Like, there's no way you're going to get us to do that. Yeah, exactly. You know? And back then, I mean, there was definitely people that were dissenting and leaving the country, but different. There was mm-hmm. totally different because their parents, fifty percent of their households, they were they were all all in the military at that point. That's right. 
So this concept of authority that like somebody really can take your life away or tell you what to do. You and I are like, no, you can't. Right. There's no way you can do that. Not the same. So again, when a boomer's an authority, they're like, uh, you're going to do it because I told you to. And we're thinking that that doesn't even, that literally pings off my forehead. If you look at the other piece of this with authority, even inside of school systems and parent styles, ask a boomer how they were disciplined in school. They'll usually tell you they were physically hit. Right. Paddled. And then they get hit at home because they got hit at school. Right, they got the double. Can you imagine if on the news tonight there was like teacher hits student because they disobeyed? We'd be up in arms. Right. So our idea of authority, millennials self-report their top two heroes or their teachers and their parents. Heroes, not authority figures that they're afraid of. Mm. These are like mentor figures that they look up to, that they want to partner with, that they want to draw close to. If you ask a boomer about their parents or their teachers, they're like, oh, the people that hit me when I was naughty. Uh, yeah, I'm not close to them. I don't, that's not how it works. <clears throat> that's super interesting. So even the, yeah. So the concept of authority inside of relationships matches what we were just talking about, about org charts. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a good one. You got a book in you, I think. I'm, I got I'm a book really in on, on here that got, that they have books in them. You got, you got one. Thanks, man. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. I think I'm trying to find the pieces that actually pull invisible levers inside of companies. So that's been my, I'm like, what actually matters that creates aha moments that actually helps people move forward? Because I'm such a geek about it. I'm like, here's a bunch of useless information. That you yeah, can't think about this. Yeah, and like, <laughs> okay, thanks for that. <laughs> so I do think that the piece around authority, it's very disrespectful to boomers that were like, um, I want to know why I'm doing this. I want to see how it's in the big picture. How is this helping me grow? How is this work? And that's totally native conversation for you and me to be having, you know, that's normal for us to talk like that to each other or to, I have a couple contractors, you have employees, you know, the people that work for me, we are always talking about <clears throat> how a project actually helps them grow and makes them more viable in the marketplace. That's a constant, monthly conversation yeah like the why behind the what like what are we doing well yep. why are we doing this and how does and it help it's you just grow? part of the conversation right like how yep. that's just kind of yeah that's 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 a really interesting thing i wonder if uh the older generations get sick of me talking about that like they're like ah we're just trying to do our job when i'm trying to tie that's it back to that to that why i just can't imagine yeah. but maybe that's that's me not being able to sort of step out of my own frame you know well, human beings, you know, are, it makes sense that they, that would still resonate with them. It's definitely just more human to want to know why. Yeah. But boomers have been trained to just respond to authority with obedience. Yeah, I guess, question. yeah, that, that saying that's, that's above my pay grade that like, to your point, has always bounced off my forehead. Like that, that, that makes no sense to me. How is that? Well, you call yourself a chief grade? servant, right? Don't, you, don't yeah. you call yourself chief servant in your company? Yeah. Yeah. I do the same. I'm like, if my employees aren't happy, if my contractors aren't happy, I'm screwed. My job right. is to make sure that they're enjoying what they're doing, that they're seeing how they're growing. And yes, that they're benefiting the bottom line of the company so I can pay them. But it's not you work for me. Do what you're Correct. told. I can't even, I couldn't keep them. For six months, I probably couldn't keep them. So I worked for a guy who he was stressed out and he was freaked out and he, he screamed, I'm the CEO of this company. And I was just like, I will, if I'm ever in that position, I will never, I never want to have to say, like, you should never have to say that. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Oh yeah. And it's such yep. to me, it's a, it's an upside down way to even speak, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That's exact. You and I, the, if that came out of our mouths, we'd be like, Oh, oh what if yeah. I, I'd be like, and I resign. Yeah. <laughs> and also on that note, I am leaving my own. <laughs> I've yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I don't, I can't even recognize myself anymore. Well, I wonder too, is that like an ethical issue for you? Like being the type of leader that like a being these two types of leadership to you, is that like almost a moral issue or an ethical issue for you? I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to get down to it, I, I think it is. I think it's bizarre. Yeah. I think it's bizarre, uh, you know, you know, when me and my brother took over this company, you know, we've, we've said this from day one, we said it to each other and we say it to everyone that joins our company. Like we didn't go all in and move down to Charlotte to get, you know, uh, carried up a mountain on a pound king, a pound queen. You know what I'm saying? That they carry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was not our goal. Like we want to go up, up a mountain, you know, we, we want to climb this, this mountain of purpose with a bunch of people. And that doesn't mean that we're carrying everybody, but that also doesn't mean that like we're on everyone's shul- soul, you know, shoulders getting like worshiped yeah. and stuff like that. Like, you know, we're in it together and our job is to, um, you know, the big thing in our company is trying to make, you know, make the world a, a better workplace. Like that's the big thing. Yes. Feeding my ego and me walking around and making people call me Mr. Gallo and weird stuff like that and separating mm-hmm. from the people, like all that stuff to me, it's very bizarre. And I mean, to your question, it feels like an ethical issue because it kind of makes, how does that make anybody feel good and feel empowered? It makes them feel like crap. I think, like, I think oh, you I, you're better yeah. than me. I, you know, this guy's better than me and I need to, you know, divert my eyes when he walks by and call him Mr. Gallo. It's just, it's just a very bizarre thing. And it's rooted in a big ego thing to me. This is mm-hmm. just my perspective. It's rooted in a weird ego thing. And mm-hmm. in those old structures, right. In that old mm-hmm. you know, pyramid style structure, you know, this is something I talk about, talk about a lot. Like we're all wired to serve up. So if the, the thing at the top of that structure is some guy, you know, with a Rolex watch, well, ostensibly everyone's going to be wired to be serving up to that guy. Mm-hmm. And that to me is totally backward. And, you know, I can get into a lot of different things there, but like, what's my role? Mm-hmm. Is my role to be the greatest or is my, my role to be the least? Is Giovanni, mm-hmm. you know, Giovanni's my brother. Are, are, are we here to help people and empower them and make them, you know, help give them, opportunities to unleash their God-given gifts. That's, that's kind of exciting. Um, being, yeah. but that fake worship, which is actually what it is, that fake sort of adulation that comes along with those structures where everyone's like ass kissing, it turns mm-hmm. very political. I think it is sort of an ethical thing at, if you boil it down, uh, I'm kind of just kind of thinking out loud here, but like if yeah. you boil it down, it is unethical because it's rooted in like like inauthenticity, it's rooted in like fakery, it's rooted in sort of this political organization that's not based on sort of merit or performance, it's based on whose ass you can kiss, stuff like that, that ends up creating a lot of, um, it creates a lot of leakage, like purpose leakage from an organization, and it creates, and it creates environments that I think people don't thrive in, it's like, it's like, it's like a soil that's too acidic, like the crop isn't going to grow right, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think of those environments, I just say that they're inhumane, yeah, it is. They, they don't align with the way that a human actually works. Correct. Um, I love like the zoo. I love animals. There are certain exhibits that I go to where I'm like, okay, I'll just give an example. The penguin exhibit. Okay. Right. The penguin exhibit, the, the, I'm like, wait, this room is actually like 10 feet deep and you painted a fake iceberg and the water's dirty 
and I can see the lights in the ceiling. They're not seeing the sun. And I have that, do you ever have that eerie moment at the zoo where you're like, this is not really how penguins live. And I wonder if they know it. Yeah, you know? do they know the lie that they're living? They are living a lie. But <laughs> I do like, in a similar way, I think of a company as, if you were to think of like a science experiment, it's like we sanitize this area, we clean it all up, it's all white. Then we brought things back in that are supposed to look like a village and not the way that humans operate. Right. And a lot of times it's like uncanny. You're like, that's not quite right. But we're all going to pretend it is, but you're actually grinding against the way that humans are wired. Yeah, I love that. I love that, that analogy. And I think the painting of the penguin exhibit is kind of like those fake values that companies put on their, on their walls right. when they have these sort of inhumane structures to use your term here. You know, yep. we love people. I mean, who doesn't say that they have values? Like every website has a values page. Like it turns yep. into a joke though, in my mind, when they're not actually like creating a, again, I love that, that term, a humane sort of environment for folks to flourish. I mean, that's, that's what the game is. What are we doing this for then? We're just doing it for dollars. It's weird. Yeah. Like, are you just grinding people out to like get the most out of them to squeeze them dry? Like that's, to me, that's a major moral ethical issue. Yeah, well, I mean, let's carry it back, right? Like this is an extension of that, of that military thing, but it's also mm -hmm. an extension of um, like the industrial revolution. And I was talking mm -hmm. to Marissa Orr who, who wrote um, Lean Out, which is a phenomenal book. If you haven't read it, go check it out. But she was talking about how these structures are really sort of vestigial structures from that industrial revolution. So like, let's rewind back to that industrial re re revolution. We had sort of uh, an agrarian sort of farmer society. Mm -hmm. Then these machines started coming out that allowed sort of the rate of production to increase and sort of the marginal cost of production to drop a lot. And then you saw this sort of explosion in the industrial re revolution of all these machines and all this mass production. And then you saw sort of, you know, things like, you know, Ford coming out with the assembly line and the division yep. of labor and so forth, right? So like, what was the asset at those times? The asset was the machine and the asset was this thought around, hey, I just got, I got one guy and he's just cranking a wrench all day right? That's mm -hmm. all he's doing. Well, the big thing in that structure were the machines and the investment in the machines, not the people. The people were just sort of plugging things in or moving things mm -hmm. around, right? So as those old structures have carried forward to now, where there's just this, this, crazy, mis there's this crazy mismatch because the assets are not machines. The assets now are the humans and in the values is in their brains as they sort of apply their, their gifts in this sort of knowledge work economy. So there is sort of, a, a, there's an inevitable sort of choking of those purposes when these old structures are sort of imposed over these new work, you know, w these ways of working or something. So yeah, yeah. it's absolutely in, in, inhumane. And so before, when people didn't matter, right, you had 12-year-olds yeah. falling in, in, into machines and dying. And mm -hmm. now when these old structures that were built when people didn't matter, you still kind of have people effectively falling in, in, into these machines and getting chewed up and spit out because the yep. structure's not built for them. Yep, that's right. We're, we're supposed to move around them. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully yep. you, don't, you don't step over too many lines. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really cool. As a business owner, it's awesome to hear how much you study history because that does give you amazing context for what's to come, you know, like this is, this is why we're at this point and this is what I could see happening in the future. You know, every time technology is introduced in a different way, it shifts human behavior. Right. When 
fire was like one of the first technologies, right? Like let's right. go way, way back. Shifted our behavior around how we ate, how mm-hmm. we did everything, truly how we survived, where we could live, so many different elements. And now people are like, oh no, computers, robotics, they're going to, they're going to make us, we're going to lose our jobs. And my, uh, and I'm wondering what your thought is. My thought is, no, it allows us to be more humane because we're not doing repeatable left brain kind of patterned behaviors that we can train a computer to do. So people are like, well, nobody's going to be able to work at McDonald's. I'm like, no, those people that are working at McDonald's are going to get more humane jobs for themselves. And there'll be two people at that McDonald's who are actually having real interactions with the guests and not having to punch their food in, but can actually connect with them as human beings. So, and I think you just really nailed that. Right. Um, so Mm -hmm. I think, I think we've seen a little picture of that, like in terms of like when you call the airline or whatever, like you Mm -hmm. can do a bunch of stuff through the phone, through the computer to route Mm -hmm. you to the right person. And that, and that, that person can just kind of do that human piece, right. Connect with you sort of take care of, do that sort of thinking that's outside of what the algorithm could be coded. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas before, right? Even when we were growing up before this stuff was what was in place, the first freaking 10 minutes of the conversation, you're reading back numbers back and forth so they can find, right? So like the portion of that person's job, again, to your point, attributed to that, that mm-hmm. more sort of machine style work versus yep. other work, it, you know, that, that, that machine style work actually crowded out the, the human, human and what this, what I think this technology advancement is going to continue to do is going to allow us to really kind of lean into that to that human piece and i think the companies that get it right are going to totally we're just going to see a massive separation over this this next decade i mean people need to wrap their heads around you know people running companies they need to wrap their heads around this 75 percent number that's a freaking massive number and it's going to be it's each year it's going to be a bigger and bigger impact each year the dissonance between you know the, you know, Hey, we're, we're rolling out a training. Why is it not hitting? Why isn't it resonating with anybody? Why is my turnover so high? Oh, yep. the millennials are so bizarre. They all want to, uh, you know, they want a participation trophy and they know they need to know why we weren't asking for participation trophies. Our parents were giving those to us. So like, that's right. It is what it is. So like embrace it and take, take advantage of it is what I say. Yep. Yeah. So this what's so interesting. Whenever I have a conversation with somebody who's done their research around generations, it's like, we're not really talking about generations. That's a symptom of just the world is changing and Correct. generations is one way to start kind of organizing your information. But what we've really talked about today is history, predictions of the future, technology, and then workplace culture, how workplace culture shifts as technology shifts, as generations grow up. It's really about the future of work and how to be more humane and empathetic. That is the future of work. And I know that you get that because your LinkedIn posts are always pointing people. Either you're doing a direct post, which is awesome when you're just talking to the camera, or you're taking, you're basically doing like um, a creative art move where you're taking a clip of something that's not directly about work and helping people make that analogy shift. That's, you are already doing all of this as a thought leader in your own way, which I think is awesome. But that's really what this is about. It's really about the future of work. Yeah, I think that's right. I appreciate uh, those kind words. Um, I think there's just such such a massive opportunity for folks who want to tune into this and get it right. Because again, mm-hmm. you know, getting back to what we were saying, there is sort of this huge diversity of thought and diversity of experience, mm-hmm. and diversity of sort of generations that when those structures and those walls are kind of broken down, 
<laughs> and again, I'm going to tie this back to culture, but like when those walls are broken down and people can feel safe to be themselves, their authentic selves and bring, you know, let that light shine out. You can really get a lot of really cool cross pollination and a, a lot of like really cool authentic synergy. But again, it's all of this stuff we're talking about. All these different sort of complementary dishes are all sort yep. of plate of culture. And if that That's culture right. is not real, if it's a paper plate instead of a, a ceramic plate, then it's going to all seep through, and it's not going to be able to actually hold that stuff. So when yep. you're talking, when when you're talking to businesses, or as we're talking, you know, if you have like sort of big tips around this piece, like what are the big sort of uh, culture elements that people need to sort of get ahead of the curve on as to not sort of fall, you know, behind the train over the next decade. Yeah. There's a couple things that big buckets that you want to think about the purpose of work that you can say that clearly purpose and work. Why would somebody come and work for you? What is your company doing that's more purposeful than the next? And it's all about how you shape that. You might need a creative team to help you say, like, it's not that we sell insurance. It's that we give people peace of mind so they can go do what they really want to do and that they'll know their family's taken care of, you know, or whatever it is. Understanding what your purpose is inside of society will help young generations understand why they should come alongside and work with you. And we have influential relationships. You want to look at how much are the people that I've brought in this room interacting with each other? Going back to the zoo analogy, we are highly social creatures, highly social. We are meant to live in a pack. So if your people in your <laughs> zoo aren't interacting with each other, that's a big concern because that's right. not how humans work. We should be. And we don't always have to be collaborating and always doing everything together. But, but even if you were to walk out on the floor today, if your people are in an office, if you were to walk out on the floor and go, are, are we actually interacting with each other? What is the, the kind of energy and the mentality in this group of people? You would want to see a lot of socialization because we are looking for influential relationships. Creating a mentorship program inside of your company is one way to help foster that. A reverse mentorship program, too, to help both people understand each other, both generations. Then That's you smart. do have that. And then the, the third one that we typically talk about is professional and personal development. Do we have anything in place for professional and personal development that could be outside trainers? That could be um, one thing that I'm pushing companies to do is to consider having a career coach or life coach have office hours once a month so that as your employees are trying to get clear on who they are and where they want to go, they have uh, somebody that they can go to that's not directly in HR that is not tied to their paycheck or their performance that can have those conversations hey, with them. That's a great idea. So that's like a really practical way to do that that is cost effective that can make a difference and then this last piece flexibility and work mostly because of technology we want to decide where we're working and when as much as possible right we've got a we're no longer in work-life balance mode we're in a whole life understanding right work-life balance is like hey from nine to five i own you you go home you can have your life back there's the balance whole life understanding is like oh your kid's sick of course you're having a hard day your kid being sick sticks with you while you're here at the office. Let's figure out how to make sure that you're able to take care of the things that matter to you and you can be focused while you're here. Totally different. Whole life understanding is wildly different than work-life balance. Yeah. And when we talk about work-life balance here, it just never makes any sense to us. It never makes sense that, you know, you have, okay, I'm getting out of my car, so I need to put on my work face 
and I need to leave this. Th-. It's like, it doesn't happen. You know what I'm saying? Like if you get in a fight mm-hmm. with your spouse, mm-hmm. you don't leave that in the car. I don't, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like if, if, if your mom you is sick, we say, all right, well, I'll think, I'll think about this at five 30 when I leave. Like it's a bizarre, it's again, it's this bizarre mm-hmm. vestigial approach that tries to impose these walls, but they're fake walls because they don't even work. So like, let's just own the fact mm-hmm. that it doesn't work and let's make room and focus on outcome, not FaceTime. Not, I'm not talking about the phones. I'm talking about like FaceTime at yeah. work, right? Like, um, yep. and I, you know, I'm bringing that back. Like you really said so many interesting things, but you know, you were talking about our generation is sort of the most educated and if that's true, there's always been that sort of grade at the end of the quarter, right? The grade at the end of the semester mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of your, your barometer of whether you're like doing well or you're not. So like inherent to that, like foundational to that is like an outcome focus. So obviously yep. then it shouldn't matter where I'm doing the work as long as the outcome is achieved, which is getting the work done, right? Like yep. all of those things, like these impositions of this weird structure and these rank and file and sort of above my pay grade things, they end up just creating a lot of, uh, I think it just creates chaos. It mm-hmm. seems like it's more organized, but it's actually more chaotic, particularly in this sort of more interconnected world where you have so much fluidity and where you can get things done, for example. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. I, it goes back to that, to me, the concept of being humane versus in, inhumane. You know, I'm a dog person, but if I bought a cat tree and was like, I've got to get my dogs to use the cat tree, I'm going to help them. Fit. It's like, they're not going to climb the cat tree. Let it go. They're not cats. I think we do that with humans. We're like, now you're all going to get along. And we're like, they're not going to get along without input, without help. Like, that's not just like you were saying, there's structures that we're jamming human beings into that are like, that's not how humans work. They're not going to be good at that. That's not going to happen. Right. And we're so used to that. That structure has been apart because of the industrial uh, revolution like you talked about. It's been embedded in generations past, but that is also being bred out of us now. So we don't, we don't want that. We don't expect it. We don't understand it. And we're not going to bend to it. We'll just say, I had a client who was like, you know, I don't want to work for the man. I'm going to start an Etsy shop. She makes 10 grand a month on Etsy. She's out, of the, she's out of the zoo. She's like, I'm not playing that game, you know? Yeah. So and that's I where think, we're going. I think um, there's this other piece of the puzzle where, you know, in the past, right, like a just again, to generalize, like a baby mm-hmm. boomer coming out, they were told by their parents who got pensions, who mm-hmm. you know, were fought in the war, they got pensions, which like don't exist, obviously, anymore. Social Mm-mm. security probably won't even be around when we're like, you know, Mm-mm. ready for it. So like, mm-hmm. those mainstays that were bred into them, right? Like those kind of big rules of thumb, you find a great company, and you stick around there and so forth. Like those are dollar based things, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. bottom line sort of focused things. Like you find a great company and you get that pension and you get the gold watch and you can retire and blah, blah, blah. Right. Our generation has come out and the financial crisis happened. Housing crash happened. Mm-hmm. All these sort of truths from the previous decades are now like washed out and everyone's like, okay, well, and couple that with all the freaking student loan debt. So like this, this, this like American dream, which if that top of that mountain is like one of like, making a, you know, being a millionaire or something. Yeah. Even in a lot of people's like frame anymore, because they don't think like, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. So like if people are weighed down with 150 grand of debt and they just saw their parents 401k get washed out and now they're, they got to work an extra 15 years and their house got foreclosed on and all those things. That's an, that has an implicit like shuffling of, Mm -hmm. you know, priorities. And I think Mm -hmm. if organizations can understand that, like, look, whether you acclimated toward dollars first, 
whatever, like that, that is what it is. And that's right or wrong. It's like, it kind of does, does, doesn't matter. Just recognize that like these new people are rec- are acclimating to something else. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. dollars first. It's maybe purpose first or, Hey, I need Meaning. to make mm-hmm. a living wage, but I care more about being happy. And I am willing yep. now, I, I have a lot more optionality with an Etsy shop or through technology or whatever to break out of the zoo as, as you put it, all those are sort of low, lower hurdles that sort of used to keep people in those cages. Those cage, those cage walls have sort of dropped. And I think that's right. organizations, I, you know, I was reading, maybe it was in that book, but there, there's a company that like each year they encourage their people to go and interview for other jobs and they don't have non-competes for folks. And they don't say, Hey, you can't hire my people away because it's like, look, then now it's on me to keep the folks. And I think that's really what's going on. Um, yep. people are still trying to hold on to those old structures, right? Those old leashes to yeah. guys kind of chain to the company. That's right. That's exactly right. Your culture has to be so good that somebody is choosing to give their one precious life more than half of their waking hours. They're going to choose to give it to you instead of creating their own thing or finding a different solution. Your culture has to be a better choice for them. Like, Hey, your village is way cooler than anything I could build. I want to be a part of your village. Not not because I have to, but because I want to. Because I could also just go out and live in the woods and make my own fires and things. I could actually take care of myself too, but I'm going to choose because you have something that I can't make on my own. You have something I want to be a part of. If you can't sell that, you're not going to keep employees. That's a huge, huge point. That's such a, gr- a great point you just made. Um, so what do we do with the people that are at the tops of these organizations? Like, do we have hope that these light bulbs are going to come on or do you think it's going to be a slow dimmer switch that comes on and then it's a panic and now we got to play catch up and then we have all of this sort of fake purpose and fake values and fake culture that are trying to sort of appease this massive swath of the population that, that no one can understand. And it's really not going to get fixed until this population ascends to the top. What do you think? I think you've seen all of that. I think you literally just summarize what actually is happening. So, you know, companies, the other piece too, is that companies that used to be like fortune 500 companies, they used to be the companies that were around for 50 years, you know, long standing pillars of influence. And now if you were looking at the fortune, who do you think's at the top, the top 10, we've got Amazon up there, right? We've got these young, almost teenager companies mm. running the marketplace wild. And so this whole idea that, um, you know, how are companies going to change? Well, sales and just consumerism is going to change who makes it out on top. That's one big piece of it. And then, yes, we do have companies from the inside. What we, I like to call it uh, green labeling. It's like, you're ta- like hotels do this, right? They're like, oh, save water on the environment. Hang your towel up. And I'm like, you're doing that because you don't want to pay for the water it takes to wash this towel. That is a joke. You don't actually mean that. Right. You're playing a game. So we call that like green labeling. This is really a greed based decision. It's not actually like we want to save the environment. If they said every time you hang up a towel, we pay a dollar to save a panda, I'd hang up those towels like crazy. Right. right? That's a great point. So, so yeah, companies are already doing that type of, um, hey, we bought a ping pong table. I wish like 10 years ago I had like a beer keg company and a ping pong table company. We would be loaded. Then we'd have to figure out how to get rid of all of them. But right. there is a lot of that, you know, and we do this all the time. Even if you were to take it uh, from the macro down to the micro, when a relationship is failing, the couple typically is like, oh, let's buy a new house. Let's buy a new car. Let's 
do these external things to try to bolster our relationship doesn't work. Same thing with companies. Buying a ping pong table doesn't change the nature of your culture or the nature of your relationship. Buying these things doesn't change anything. It really is a grassroots understanding of how humans work and how they want to be treated. And so some companies will die. Some companies will green label, figure out that that didn't work and hopefully adjust. And then I think companies like yours that are grounded and founded in these concepts are going to be what holds and people are going to come to you and say, Nick, how are you doing this? Help us figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to say, go talk to Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) But um, why do you think uh, this authenticity thing is such a big thing now? Because like you sniff out the green labeling. I think my grandmother would be like, Oh, how sweet. Right. So like at some point it sort of goes the other way. What, what is it? Like, why do we have such a nose for authenticity now or desire for it? Well, I think millennials do because part of it is in technology transparency is king so we know right away like why do i fly southwest all the time and because southwest to me is transparent the best customer service 50 percent of their hiring is based on attitude not competency their personalities come out you meet real people who really do serve you on these planes or fly the planes it's a i think southwest is the most millennial airline because of the way that they behave right they're not ranking their ill first class seats. We're all in it together. You know, it's just, it's a totally different way of doing business. So I think that we are, authenticity is king partly because of technology. Mm-hmm. We know if something goes wrong, don't we? Like we know, I always use airlines as an example. If somebody's mistreated on an airline, we tweet about it. We know about it the next day. We know, we want to know what the heck's really going on behind that door. Glass door is a website that tells you how are the employees really treated. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's we a good point. want to know what's going yeah. on. And we acclimate toward that. And I think there's probably mm-hmm. also a layer or an, an element of like us having been probably, again, I, this is not a stat. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably true. Or I think it's probably true. It's just maybe not accurate. But like we got to be the most advertised to consumers ever to walk the earth. Right. So like, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just so many ads. I mean, just think of the ads when like our grandparents were watching like the three channels in their living room. Yep. I mean, we look at those ads and we're like, these are all lies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's almost like ads don't work yeah. anymore or something. Yeah. I think that part of that is that idea of like, I know we're using the zoo analogy a lot, but like really fake zoo, like those ads back then remind me of horrible zoo enclosures. And now we're like, dude, that thing better look just like reality or be reality. Right. Or I'm not coming. And so we are looking for those opportunities. If you were a totally different person, when we turn this podcast off, I can't imagine you like turning this off and then going out and yelling at your employees. I'm the boss. Yeah. If you did that, I'd find out about it. We'd all find out about it. So there is this, piece where you know boomers would say like millennials are constantly being surveyed there's no privacy anymore and we're like well if you're not doing anything weird you don't really need privacy like in that way That's, yeah secrecy and privacy are totally different good point so yeah and those those get of, conflated a lot they do they do there's a lot of things where i'm like sure you can track my location i'm not doing anything weird so why does it matter i'm not you know so we just have a totally different view on all of that privacy, authenticity, those pieces have a different meaning to us than they do our parents. So I got one more question. I want to be conscious of the time. Do you have like 
couple more minutes? Yeah. Okay. So what about in an organization where let's say it's a big organization and you got sort of people at the bottom who everything we're talking about resonates. Mm -hmm. You got people in the middle who want to drive some change, but you have people at, at the top that think this is all just kind of BS. How does that person mm -hmm. in the middle, how does that guy or girl in the middle help to really turn the ship? What, what, mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give or like what kind of coaching or tactics would you give to somebody there to like help turn on those light bulbs at the top that like this culture thing is not just a painting on the, it's not just a fake iceberg painting yeah. on, the, on the penguin you know, thing. What does that person do to not get sapped and you know, feed in and buy into this, uh, you know, this thing of like, well, I just can't do anything about it? Yeah, I think some of it depends on how big the organization is. If it's smaller, you have um, your voice is probably louder and you can probably get to the d chief decision makers quicker and more easily. I find oftentimes that there has to be a business case usually around recruiting and retention. And so my business partner, Lauren, she's in a lot of my videos. She does a lot of work with recruiting and retention that ends up being a big part of what we do because there's dollars behind it. So every time we lose an employee, you know, we're losing 15 grand or seven grand or whatever the right. acquisition cost is uh, and training cost is. And so at the end of the day, I think most people in the C-suite want to understand how it impacts the bottom line. I don't think most CEOs are going to say, let's spend the money because it's a good thing to do. And a CFO is definitely not going to be like, sure, let's sign off on that. But if you can right. say, we're losing a hundred grand a year in turnover. And if we implement this program that costs $20,000, I'm confident that we'll keep at least three extra employees. It'd be a break even or we'll save money. Are you up for doing that? I think it has to be a business case. Yeah, you're probably right. And what's nice about it is that it's not snake oil. Like it actually works. Like right. if you fix the, right. like if you can get this right and you can tune this piano properly, then the harmony that comes from it is going to be one that's going to resonate with the people and they're going to stay there longer. That's, that's just right. going to happen, right? It's not, um, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. Like the dollars are a byproduct of what you're doing. They're never, mm -hmm. act, you know, I guess when they're the goal, then these other things that are actually the important pieces end up falling away. Like look at the, mm -hmm. you know, again, that, that awful example of a child falling in, in, into a machine. Like mm -hmm. the big thing there was obviously the dollars, but if you mm -hmm. can actually do things right, you can build better efficiencies and you can be more profitable. And to your point, if you can get that culture thing right, you can actually, you know, you'll keep people longer and the byproduct will be that, that you know, higher, higher retention rate and the lower sort of turnover costs and all that kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. Well, I had this kind of an expectation for the conversation and it was just like double. It was way better. Yeah. And, uh, I loved it. So how can people find you um, both like online and uh, if they want to get in touch with you to kind of get smart on this stuff? Yeah. Well, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. That's where we're creating a lot of conversation around these topics. LinkedIn's a great place to go. You can also just go to my website, which is my name, lindsaybocardo.com. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights. I just, I learned a lot. This was uh, really a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us on The Ethics Experts. You're welcome, Nick. We'll talk soon. All right.